I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of the Revelation, if you would. The book of the Revelation. And uh, I want you to look with me at chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 4, 5, and 6. And uh, if you would, stand with me uh, and give attention to the public reading of the Word of God, then I would appreciate that so very much. The Bible says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Asia, Minor, Ephesus, Murder, Pergamos, Thyatira, uh, and uh, right on through uh, Philadelphia and Laodicea, and uh, <clears throat> seven churches that he's writing about to here, uh, local churches. He said, Grace be unto you. Now, what John is going to be writing about in the chapters to follow, beginning in chapter 6, uh, when the wrath of God is going to be falling from heaven. And he says, grace, grace. You see, God is a God of grace. Right in the midst of that, there's grace. And then he said, peace, grace and peace. Uh, man, it, it's ever, I mean, all hell is breaking loose during the tribulation period. The wrath of God is falling from heaven. But he, say, he, he says, hey, we want you to have peace. There is peace and grace with our blessed God. And then he said this, unto, uh, peace uh, from uh, him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God, his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then John gives a good, hearty amen. amen. I'll preach for a little while this evening on this subject. Why John was praising the Lord. You'll see what I'm talking about in just a little while. Now, Father, need your help this evening. I've got sense enough to know that I can't do anything without you. And I pray that you'll fill thy servant with the power of Almighty God. And thank you for this time we can have together here at Choice Hills Baptist Church. Work in our hearts as only God can do. As Paul said both to will and to do of God's good pleasure. Help us to say a word in season that'll help somebody. And dear God, it might be that in this service or Somebody who's listening might not be saved. And Lord, if that's, the, if that's the case, I pray that there would uh, be a move of God in their heart. And I pray that they would find peace through the blood of your cross tonight. Work in our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. By way of introduction to the message, 
Let me notice with you that in this passage, we immediately see three thoughts. First of all, we see a glimpse of deity. You see God the Father, as he mentions him in verse number four, he said, him which is and which was and which is to come. He's talking about the eternal existence of God the Father. You see, uh, God the Father is the great I Am, just as Jesus is the great I Am. Uh, when Moses went down to deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, Moses said, God, who am I going to tell them sent me? He said, you just tell them that I am sent you. <laughs> well, I mean, what kind of a name is that? I am? Uh, I, I am what? Well, uh, he's anything that you need him for to be. And that's the self-existing one of Almighty God, God the Father. And then he goes on in the latter part of verse 4 to talk about God the Spirit. And he mentions here from the seven spirits which are before the throne. That's not different uh, spirits, but that's the perfection of the Holy Spirit. The number seven, the Bible is the number of perfection. And so the Holy Spirit uh, is seen here in his perfection and his power. And then in verse number five, he says, and from Jesus Christ, the Son. He is, uh, is the prominent one. And this, uh, by the way, the book of Revelation is a book of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you've got a heading like I have in my Bible, it says the revelation of St. John the Divine. But that's not what the book of Revelation is about. It's, uh, in fact, uh, he tells us in verse 1, uh, what, who it's about. He said, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's who the book is all about. By the way, that's who this Bible is all about. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we see a glimpse of deity, but we also see a genuine description of the Son of God. In verse number five, it says that he's the faithful witness. Uh, Jesus came into this world, according to John 18 and verse 37, to bear witness of the truth. He was a faithful witness, the faithful witness. And I think that's important for us to realize that he, he never uh, cowarded or compromised the truth. Uh, when he was preaching in Galilee, it says that they were astonished at his doctrine. He taught them uh, as, a, as one who had authority. And they were astounded at that because he told them the truth. You remember in John chapter 7 when the religionists sent the soldiers to pick Jesus up because he was over there preaching? 
And, and uh, when uh, they went over there, they made the mistake of uh, listening to him. And uh, when they listened to him, they came back without him. And when they, uh, the, the religionists said, uh, why have you not brought him? Where is he? They said, never man spake like he spake. Never man spake like he spake. You see, he never compromised the truth. He always told the truth about his person and his purpose in coming. He always told the truth about sin and salvation. He always told the truth about heaven and hell and future judgment. He is the faithful witness. But not only that, it says he's the first begotten of the dead. That means that he, he died and rose again, never to die again. And so he's the first begotten. Well, there were those who, who, who rose from the dead, but they died again. But he is the first begotten of the dead. He died and rose again never to die again. And so the first begotten of the dead. And then not only that, it says in verse 5 that he's the prince of the kings of the earth. I tell you, it might appear sometimes like at the devil's uh, running things and he's got the world by the tail in a downhill swing and wicked men and godless people are seeking to rule the world. But the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to God. And brother, listen to me. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, said the kingdoms of this world will soon become the kingdoms of our Lord and he shall reign forever and ever. He is the king. And the king of this world, he's the king of glory. Listen, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 37, says that he's the king of heaven. Matthew 2 and verse 2 says he's the king of the Jews. In John chapter 1 and verse 49, he's the king of Israel. 1 Timothy 1, 17, he's the king of the ages. Psalm 24, verse 7, he's the king of glory. Revelation 15, verse 3, he's the king of saints. Revelation 19, verse 16, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we see this genuine description of the Son of God. We see a glimpse of deity, but then in the latter part of verse 5, we see a glorious doxology. John is praising the Lord unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins, in his own blood. And I'll tell you, uh, he's praising the Lord for who he is and for what he had done for him. And I'll tell you, that's reason enough to praise the Lord for who he is, for what he has done for us. And he's worthy of all the praise that we could ever give to him. Now, that's the introduction, okay? Let me get into the message now. There's three things here that John is praising the Lord for in this glorious doxology. First of all, you'll notice that he said that he loved us, or literally he loves us. Uh, I, I don't know if 
if you've uh, ever not felt love before, uh, you might not get the meaning of what John is talking about here. Oh, John now is on the Isle of Patmos. He had been persecuted by the religionists and the, and the Roman government. And uh, he'd been thrown in a pot of boiling oil, burned all over. And then he was exiled to Patmos. And I imagine that John was feeling a little bit unloved. But then when he saw Jesus and realized what Jesus had done for him, uh, I imagine he realized that he was loved uh, beyond anything, any way that any earthly person could ever love him. Now, I do know a little bit about that. I come from a broken home. And uh, my mother and daddy separated when I was four years old. We four children went to live with my paternal grandparents. And for four years, we lived with them until one summer day, uh, my grandfather had a stroke, had a brain tumor and had a stroke. And when the ambulance came, we lived way out in the country in upper Spartanburg County or out over the road here. And uh, when the ambulance came to take him to the hospital, my grandmother was so overwhelmed with grief that she had a massive stroke and died instantly. My grandfather died about a month later. Uh, but here's the thing. We didn't have anywhere to go. And they were talking about putting us four children into an orphanage. You're talking about feeling unloved. I was eight years old. I didn't know what was going to happen. And then a dear aunt of mine, my daddy's sister, spoke up and said, wait a minute. We can't allow this to happen. There are 10 of us siblings. We can raise these children. And she took me into her home and later adopted me into the family. But I began to feel loved. She took me to church. I heard the gospel. I got saved. As a nine-year-old boy, God saved me. And I found love like I had never known that there could be love. John said, he loved me. He loved me. He loved me. And I tell you tonight, he loves us. Think about that love first. His love is an incomprehensible love. For God so loved the world, and I'll submit to our hearts, this evening, that there's not enough words in all of the vocabularies of the world Amen. that could explain adequately how much God loved us when He so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son to die for us on the old rugged cross. That's incomprehensible to the finite mind. You see, God loved us with an everlasting love. In fact, it's hard to imagine just how that a holy God could love sinners like us. Romans 5 and verse 6, 
Paul said, for when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, I don't understand how God could love, I'm talking about a holy God, could love wicked sinners that deserve to burn in hell forever. But God did love us. He commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Brother Jeff, I've tried to think about some kind of an analogy that I could just bring down to my level as to how I might could just in a little way comprehend that great love. I have only one son. By the way, he's my pastor now. Uh, I have one daughter. She's a pastor's wife up in New, the state of New York. But I only have one son. And I've often thought about and wondered what it would be like when he was living in my home, when he was a, maybe a child, that maybe the governor of the state would call me and say, Mr. Averson, we have a bunch of horrible criminals on death row, but they deserve another chance in life. He said, now, it's incumbent upon somebody to die for those criminals. And it has fallen upon the shoulders of your son to give his life for those hardened criminals that deserve to die. He said, uh, would you give your son for those criminals? And I said, I have to think about that. Finally, I'd call him back and say, Governor, my son is willing to die for him. If it means that they can go free, and have a little hope in life. And so the time comes, the day comes when he's to be executed for those criminals to die for him. And I watch and I say my goodbyes to him. I hug his neck for the last time. And he begins to walk down that long corridor, that hall on death row. And those wicked men curse him. They spit at him in derision. They shake their fist at him. That's, uh, that, that's hard to imagine how anybody could put up with that. And then they take him into the place where the electric chair is. And I'm shoved off to a room to the side, an observation room where I could watch and I watched that executioner as a place that, uh, that, that set it on his head and they wrap his body with the, 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 the electrical cords. And then I watched the warden as he gives the word to go ahead. That executioner pushes the, 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 the handle 
And our watches, 1,870 watts, 7.5 uh, amps go through his body. And then followed by that is 240 watts, 1.5 amps for 60 seconds. There's a five-second pa five pause, and then the process is repeated. And I watch as my little boy, my son, that I love so much, when they push that juice to him, I watch as his head jerks this way and that way, and then his body begins to jerk. And I watch as his head lays lifeless, as I know my son is dead. I couldn't stand that. I wonder what it was like in heaven when God the Father sent his only begotten son into this world. Watch those old wicked sinners nail him to a cross, crown him with thorns, whip him with a cat of nine tails, beat him when he was his visage was marred more than any man, Isaiah said. That means that, that he uh, was beaten beyond even being recognized as a human being. Now, that is certainly not a perfect analogy, but it lets me see just a little bit about what it must have been like in heaven when God the Father gave His darling Son to die for wicked sinners so they would have hope and wouldn't have to burn in hell forever. That's an incomprehensible love. But notice secondly, that it's an incomparable love. I mean, what could you ever compare the love of God to? John mentioned something in 1 John chapter 3 when he said, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He says this is an exceptional love. What manner, what, what out of this world kind of love? That's what it means. We've never known a love like this. What out of this world kind of love? But then he said it was an extended love. That love was bestowed upon us. He gave it to us. God commended his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But then he says it's an experienced love that we should be called the sons of God. I mean, uh, brother, listen. You can experience that love here tonight if you've never experienced it because Jesus died on the cross for you. Amen. And he's here tonight to receive you as a child of the living God because of that great sacrifice. It's an incomprehensible love. It's an incomparable love. But his love is also an inclusive love. For God so loved the world. That means that everybody is recipient of that love. 
God so loved the world, that's a wonderful thing that he gave his only begotten son for the world. Ephesians 5 verse 25 says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for the church. <laughs> I know some professing Christians don't even love the church enough to attend his services uh, or tie their income. But Christ loved the church enough to die for the church. That's wonderful. God loved the world, gave Jesus. Christ loved the church, gave himself for the church, died for the church. Well, I was reading sometime back in the book of Galatians, chapter 2 and verse 20, and this thing came home to my heart. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. <laughs> And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank God that he loved the world and gave Jesus for the world. Thank God that Christ loved the church and died for the church. But glory be to God, he loved me and gave himself for me. I believe if I'd have been the only sinner on planet earth that he'd have still loved me enough to leave heaven's glory and condescend down to this old wicked world and enrobe himself into a body of flesh and blood. Yet without sin, thank God, for the purpose of going to the old rugged cross and dying for my sins. Paul said, uh, Peter said he died the just for the unjust. We were the unjust. He was the just. Paul said that God made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 21. John said, he loved us. But now don't miss this. Not only did he love us, but he also laundered us. <laughs> Say, preacher, what do you mean by that? He says he washed us. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. And you think about the, that, it, it, that, that, that Greek word that means to loosen the dirt from a garment when you're washing it. <laughs> we were dirty, filthy sinners, but he gave us a, an inward bloodbath. He washed us in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wash me with hyssop, David said in Psalm 51. I shall be clean. Purge me from his, with hyssop. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Listen, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses all sin. We were polluted by sin. But he laundered us real good and washed us in his own blood and made us clean and pure. Isaiah 1 and verse 18. Isaiah describes it as though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He loved us. And then he thanked God. It says he laundered us, washed us. But then notice finally in verse number six that he lifted us. Did you see that? He's made us kings and priests unto God. His father 
To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Hey, He's, he's put us in a high position. He's made us king. I'm a child of the king tonight. I may not look like anything but an old, ugly, fat, dumb, bald-headed preacher. You better not say amen right there. Uh, but I are somebody. I will tell you, I am a child of the king. Royal blood flows through my spiritual veins tonight. He has made us kings. He said that, that we're going to reign with him one day and we are going to reign with Jesus one day. We, we are, are joint heirs with the Son. We are sitting in the heavens with the Lord, that seat of authority, that seat of royalty, that seat of security, that seat of victory. That's where we are with Jesus right now. He's lifted us, made us kings. But then not only has he made us kings, but he's made us priests. 1 Peter 1 and verse 5 says, We are a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. And Old Testament priests, you remember back under the law, they were sanctified. Uh, for service, set apart for the service of the priesthood, the office of the priesthood. But now listen, under grace, you and I and all saints are priests unto God, the Bible says. We have a direct channel right into the very throne room of God. Hey, we don't have to find somebody that wears his collar backwards. Wears a, dresses like a granny and want to be called father. We don't have to look for somebody like that. We are priests ourselves unto God. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 and in verse number 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched. Did you notice the double negative there? What he's saying is it's just absolutely impossible for Jesus not to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Uh, with, uh, and he says, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Now listen to this. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time. Come boldly with expression of speech, freedom of speech. You and I are priests of God and we can go right into the very throne room of God with our petitions. I marvel, I really do. I marvel that you and I as the people of God who have the, the, the privilege and know the power and the possibilities of prayer, uh, when we understand that prayer literally moves the universe or moves the hand that controls the entire universe, I marvel that we don't do more of it than what we do. He's invited us to come right into his throne room. 
What a Savior. John says uh, that, that, uh, that I just got to praise him. Yeah. After John saw that glimpse of deity and that genuine description, he just couldn't stand it any longer. I can see Joel John while he's writing, and he's seeing Jesus uh, the way that he saw him. And all of a sudden, old John says, Hold a minute, Lord, let me, let, let me shout. Puts his pen down and yeah. has him an old-fashioned spell. Amen. If you don't know what that means, uh, ask your pastor. He'll explain it to you in a little while. Uh, but I believe old John yeah. had a time with Jesus when he saw who he was. And when we see him for who he is the way John did, we can't do anything but praise him. Amen. I tell you, preacher... I've not been in that place near as much as I wished I could. But I have been there. And I want to tell you there is nothing like it in all of the world to be in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See who he is. Know what he's done. You have to praise him. I wonder tonight, are you saved? Do you know for sure that you're saved? If you don't know that, come to Christ tonight. So preacher, what now? Just just walk down any one of these aisles. Pastor be right here and Say, Pastor, I'm not saved. I just don't know whether I'm saved. Hey, all you need to do, he'll know what to do. Lead you to Jesus. Maybe you who are listening via Zoom or live stream, whatever it is, and you don't know that you're saved. Get out on your knees right where you are and just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Then write the pastor here at church or call him. Let him know that you got saved. He'll help you out. Now, let me ask you who are saved. Are you in a place where you can see Jesus for who he really is? Or is there a veil between you because of the life that you're living and you know you're not right with God? Why not just come and have a talk with Jesus in his altar tonight and get it settled with him so that you can see him clearly and be able to praise him? I hope that you will. Let's stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Father, I've tried my best tonight just to honor and exalt the precious and blood-stained name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have no earthly idea what you want to do in this invitation tonight. But I do know I've tried to exalt Jesus. And you said that uh, when he's lifted up, draw all men to you. And Lord, uh, we've tried to honor him and lift him up tonight. And I pray that you'll speak to hearts and do what you desire to do in lives.